well, the next thing I remember is I'm wandering up the motorway and there's a hand placed on my shoulder and, and I'm looking for my chicken and rice because my food tubs have gone out the window. Hey, what's going on, guys? On this episode of Drugs and Stuff, Dave and I are going to talk all about insulin. We'll discuss old school versus new school protocols, we'll talk about going hypo and precautions you should take. Plus, Dave has a story about crashing his car while going hypo. It's totally worth tuning in just for that. After that, we've got all your listener questions. There's timestamps below if you want to skip around. We're going to talk about test to DECA ratio, controlling anxiety on gear, cruising on trend, should you take Cialis as a pre-workout or for blood pressure, and we get a special guest appearance by Scott Stevenson. Holy sh- all of that and a bunch more, guys. If you enjoy our content, do me a favor, hit the like button, leave us a comment, comment with questions for the next episode, and hey, if you're new here, let me encourage you to hit the subscribe button, hit the bell. We've got several bodybuilding podcasts coming out each week, tons of education and entertainment from coaches and IPB pros and top minds in our industry that are all here to help you do better at this thing that we love. All right, guys, let's get to the program. Dave, there was a sighting of you over the weekend. No. Yeah, there was. No. no. Messi's not been sighted. Who's this? I don't know. Some fat, ugly fucker. You look like you're getting in better shape, actually. You look like you're getting leaner. No, just it's that's why I wear black, mate. It hides the fat. Yeah. So you were at a, this was at a, it appears to be a bodybuilding contest. This was at the Fitex Manchester show, which was sponsored by Blood Lab. Mm. Um, because we, we provide the first day, we have to be there anyway. But we weren't there as a blood testing company for obvious reasons. Okay. Um, but uh, I wasn't actually due to judge, but I did end up judging the bodybuilding classes. Um, so Because I have to be at every show anyway. Yeah. So... Some shows I'm marked down to actually judge the shows, and then other shows I'm just basically I'll jump in if somebody needs a piss and that sort of thing. So when this guy took that picture with you, did he like slip you a, a twenty or something like that because he knew you were going to no, be judging him later? He'd already been on stage at oh. that point, so he'd already slipped you the twenty before. I slipped in the twenty for having a picture taken with me. Oh, okay, yeah, good idea. So yeah, so you know, it looks like I'm popular and people like me. <laughs> obviously, otherwise nobody would talk to me. All right, well, let's get this thing rolling. It was, yeah, it, okay. It, it was a quiet show, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, a lot more shows coming up, and we have a lot of people that are getting in shape, and they have a lot of bodybuilding questions. In fact, Dave, we got a lot of really good feedback on the last show. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody for all your awesome comments and all your positivity because you guys are you make this thing fun for us. Even though, like I said, Dave doesn't like hearing nice things about himself, it makes him kind of uncomfortable. Oh, also, I got like we asked for new names for Dave. We were talking about your your bulldog last year or last episode. Is this the bulldog picture? No, that's the wrong one. We had the, there it is. The bulldog picture, and uh, we decided since that dog was getting a new name, we needed a new name for Dave. So I'll find those at some point here, and I wanted to just dive straight in. Um, we got a question about insulin, and and I realized, <clears throat> excuse me, we haven't done an in-depth talk about insulin in bodybuilding. Like I mean, like our our steroid <sighs> profile. You know, we do those drug profiles and all that. We've never done an insulin profile, so. I thought we could talk a little bit about it here. And Lewis Charles says, um, on the same theme, thoughts on this trend. Lantis and Metformin almost all year long, uh, whether you're bulking or cutting. Seems uh, that it gives the pancreas a break and helps with nutrition delivery to muscle all day long. Is it a risk to desensitized uh, from insulin uh, with this extended use. So there's that. And then there was, I think, another question about insulin. So let's just, let's maybe answer this one. And then let's go into a, like, a little bit more in-depth on, on using insulin because that's what the other question related to. So the idea is that you use metformin. That then helps stop a desensitization from the insulin being there constantly. 
Obviously, with elevated levels of artificial insulin, your natural insulin then doesn't have to respond to as much the same way, and therefore, in a high-carb environment, that takes some pressures off the beta cells. Uh, and I think the theory is sound. Um, I'm not a fan of long-acting. I do prefer to use fast-acting with meals to coincide with when you're going to get an insulin spike naturally. Um, desensitization is going to depend on dose. Um, though the metformin will offset that to some degree. What I don't know, um, and I don't think anybody does actually, is whether if you use a long-acting insulin and you use a long-acting insulin at too high a dose, will that cause effectively a non-insulin response naturally occurring and would that then for possibly cause issues with a natural insulin response at a later date? Hmm. In the same way as when we shut our Leydig cells down, they can they can waste away, they can damage, they can be atrophied, and recovery is not always total. Do we risk the same impact with our insulin response by using long acting for extended periods of time? I don't know. I, I I think on the surface of it, it does seem to be quite a robust system Yeah. from the point of view of insulin production. We know that insulin sensitivity can be somewhat sensitive and somewhat fragile um, because we, we can damage that purely by just having a high-carb environment. Um, but uh, so I do think the actual insulin production mechanism is, is quite robust. So I don't think it's a particular risk, but it it's the – the only one I don't know, I don't know the answer to on that. Um, I personally prefer low dose fast acting with meals, keep it two to three IU, uh, just to take the sting out of um, the insulin response that your body's going to have to try and produce with high carb intake. Agreed. That's what I do um, too. Yeah. And, and for me, that's, and I also like the control element of that as well. Yeah. Um, because the, the other problem with long acting is it's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you are pushing the numbers a little bit and then you have an unforeseen circumstances where you can't get food, you've got elevated levels of insulin that you have no control over. You literally have an emergency at that point. But possibly, yeah. There is the potential for that, definitely. Have you um, ever gone super, super hypo before using insulin? I passed out in a car, driving a car at 9 mile an hour and crashed it into the banking on the motorway because of insulin, yeah. <laughs> Why have I never heard this story before? (laughs) I thought I told you this. No, I never heard this story before. You were driving a car. uh, You passed out. I was was experimenting with slow acting uh, and fast laid over the top. So a low dose slow acting. Yeah. And and then a, a relatively low dose fast acting. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that fast acting is actually active for about 12 hours. So it, it is fast in its peak, but its residual hangs around for quite a while. How fast are we talking here? Like a Humulin R fast? Like a rapid? Yeah, so a human, okay. yeah. yeah, so a rapid will peak in, in 45 minutes, 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Short time. Um, but it, yeah, but it will stay active for hours and hours afterwards. Lower, obviously, but when you're doing that on top of a baseline and you're doing fast with every meal... By the end of the day, you've actually got quite a built-up level of circulating insulin in your body. Yeah, you would. You so, would. So I was driving down the motorway. I was somewhere between 18 and 90 miles an hour. Um, and I felt myself starting to go um, and just shook it off. And that was due to a lack of experience and not really – I just didn't twig what was going on. You just tried to fight through then, it. You're like, I feel a little drowsy. Uh, yeah, My fingers are going yeah, numb. But that happens yeah, to me all the time. Uh, <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, well, the next thing I remember is I'm wandering up the motorway and there's a hand placed on my shoulder. And, and I'm looking for my chicken and rice because my food tubs have gone out the window. Oh. Um, so I was driving a, an Wait, estate car. You're, you were in the, you're on the lawn. You're walking, like, meandering around, stumbling around looking for chicken and rice. That's you came to, you came to. That's yeah, what you remember. 
on the motorway. So, <laughs> what, 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 what I was told... Um, I shouldn't laugh, but that is funny. No, it's funny. It is funny as fuck. What, what I was told was... So, I was driving an estate car, or what you'd call a station wagon. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I've literally, apparently, I've been driving down a fast lane, and all I've done is just taken a swerve to the left and gone straight into the banking. I've not touched the brakes or anything. Hmm. I've The nose is dug in because the banking's quite steep. The car has flipped up and it's gone flat full length into a tree that's crushed the passenger side down to the bonnet or hood in American, all the way back down the passenger side. Holy it's shit. then pirouetted, rolled three times down the banking and across the motorway. At some point, I've exited the car. What nobody knows is, did I get out? Was I thrown out? I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I don't know. The honest answer is I don't know. Um, and then I, I, someone just put a hand on my shoulder. That's when I came to and realized where I was. Um, and I was looking for my chicken and rice because my meal tubs had gone out the window. So the car had lost... I think it had one wheel ripped off, one wheel severely buckled. Every window in the car had gone. The roof line was crushed front to back on the passenger side. Every panel was smashed in one way or another. I mean, the car was fucked. How was your chicken and rice? Uh, Did you find it? Because you're still going hypo at this point. Like, just because you get in a car accident doesn't mean that you're not hypo anymore. You know what I'm saying? So. I was traveling to see a friend, which I was spending the night at, and then I was going on to an expo in London. Um, this was when they had the pro show at the London Expo Center. Um, they only had it there one year. They had a fitness expo around it. It was a complete flop. They never did it again. That's when I was go- I was going to. So if anyone can remember that, they'll remember the, the year. Anyway, they, they put me in the ambulance. Um so they made me they made me lay down on a stretcher, right? And they were fucking about trying to transfer me onto another stretcher. And they'd put the neck brace on and everything, and they were really, really concerned. So they wouldn't let me move. It's like, no, you can't move, you can't move. Obviously, I'm I'm borderline 400 pounds, 360, 370 pounds at this point. Holy shit. Um, and they're like, um, they're trying to get me to transfer me from one bed to another. And they just, they're struggling like fuck. And so I just went, oh, fuck this, stood up, walked to the other bed and laid back down again. <laughs> and they're like, we didn't want to tell you to do that, but we're really glad you did that. Yeah, doctor was going mental because obviously he's worried about spinal damage. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, and I spent all weekend putting bits of glass out of my head. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I did, I did rescue some of my food. Um, a friend of mine picked me up. I stopped there for the night, and then they got me into London the next day, and I turned up at the expo. And um, I remember digging through my food and still picking out bits of glass out of my food. Oh, my God. So you made it to the expo. Let me ask you this. Did you did you take any insulin the next day because it was the expo and you wanted to be as full as possible? No, okay. You didn't. Were you done I with insulin for a little while? I didn't touch insulin for a very long time after that. But, Guys, if you uh, want to know why Dave doesn't like insulin, now you know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's not that. I just, obviously, you realize going through something like that as how da- dangerous slow can be because it's building in the background. Yeah, yeah. So how? F- one more, uh, one more accident question, and then then we have another one that relates to insulin. So I wanted to pull that up because that's where he's asking about carbs. Um, how fast did you say you were going? About so it was over. This, so the speed limit seventy, and I was doing somewhere around 80, 90 miles an hour. K- kilometers. No miles. You're doing ninety. I thought you guys judge things in kilometers. No, Europe does. England's miles per hour. Man. But you go by oh, all sorts of other weird stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, have, we have this. So we use liters for fuel, not gallons. But we use mile an hour for speed, not kilometers. Each. And you go by so pounds for weight, or you no? Know, uh, yeah, excuse me, yeah. uh, stones for weight. So, <laughs> well, we we, we we probably more kilos now than we are stone. Um, okay, I think most of the younger generation will use kilo now. Okay, all right. Well, let me ask you this one then. So let's let's bring this guy up. He says. Uh, 
I've been seeing a lot of people talk about being able to cut down their anabolics while using insulin. What are some of the cookie cutter protocols that are considered safe? I don't know about that word. We should be, that's a story in itself. Uh, for each type of insulin, fast, medium, long. Uh, also, what would be considered a safe ratio of insulin to carb intake? Example, uh, five to 10 units for each X amount of carbs. Thanks guys. He says, I'm not dabbling with it yet. He says he's just trying to learn and research, which it's a good move because insulin can cause you problems real fast if you don't know what you're doing. I've never been a particular fan of matching carbs to insulin. Um, I have a a real, and it is a real Heath Robinson way of doing it. Um, But quite literally, the thing is, your calorie intake is predetermined by your body composition and your mass to some extent. Obviously, your energy expenditure, metabolism, and all those sort of things play into it. But effectively, you have a calorie intake that you're currently trying to achieve, be it deficit, maintenance, or growth. Yeah. And insulin can be used in all three environments. So I would rather match my insulin to my current food intake than try to bring my food up to match my insulin use. Because if I start trying to match my carb levels to my insulin intake, then I'm going to be using excess number of carbs. And with the best word in the world, you eat too many calories, you get fat. There's no way of avoiding that. Yes, you'll get some glycogen superloading within the muscle from the insulin, but you're still going to store it. You're still going to get fat. So... I've always approached it with a real simple and basic route, but it is it's quite simply this. Because I tend not to use long, uh, partly past experience and partly just because I don't like that lack of control. So I'll start with one, at the most, two IU per meal. And then after a week, I'll go up to three IU per meal. And I'll keep doing that until I start to get the, until you drive your car off the road. Yeah, until I crash my car. <laughs> then, then when I crash my car, I'll just dial it back a little bit. Do you, to, so you're going to say, what, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. And it was a critical moment. You, you increase it until when? Until I crash my car. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that's basically it. What no, the, so I, I, would, I would inch it up, IU per meal, uh, until I start to see the early signs of hyper. Okay, yeah. Then I'd pull it back. But that system only works if you're uber con- consistent with your calorie intake. Yeah, yeah, that would. Um, and then what I find then is, you'll f- what I found was that the, the, the first two, three meals of the day, we might be as high as four, five, six IU per meal. But at the back end of the day, we're now dropping down to three and four and two because of the accumulative effect of the insulin in the body. That makes sense. I said earlier, even with fast acting, it hangs around longer than you think. And it's important that whatever insulin you lose, whatever brand you use, and the brands are different. Yep, they are. That you find out what the medical duration of that compound is in your system. Because there will be a carryover. You know, if you're taking four IU with a meal, but you've still got one IU of that active six hours later and you've had two more insulin shots in that time, then there's an accumulative effect there. So you've got a circulating baseline of more IUs than you had previously, and chances are your dosing later on in the day will need to be lighter. Yeah. Yeah, so the first person I knew that talked about microdosing insulin was Colette Nelson. And uh, her uh, and I had a conversation about this you know, a number of years back. And before this idea got popular of using insulin the way you're describing, it was used at really high doses. So instead of uh, matching our insulin to our food, we would match our food to the insulin. Mm. And back in the day, like, you know, in in all credit goes, I would say to Milos on really bringing insulin into bodybuilding and making it kind of like a household thing for the hardcore bodybuilders. Um, nowadays we don't use as much and, and I think we've learned better than, than where it started, but that's not to knock him at all. They were using a lot of insulin, like a oh, ton. You worked me, with Milos, right? Yeah. Milos had me on, I think we peaked at about 60 pre and about 120 post. 
That's a lot of insulin, man. How many carbs would you have to eat to cover 120 units? Well, I mean, I was on 10,000 calories a day, so I was pushing in a lot. That's part of, yeah, 1,900 grams of carbs through the day. And then what he had me do was 100 grams fast acting with my pre-workout shake, which also was loaded with stuff like... um, amino acids and yeah. various uh, amino glut- um, glutamine and a few others were thrown citrulline um, and then he'd have me do an intra-carb drink and then a post-carb drink and what I found with the old school high dose approach uh, and, I, and I truly believe this as well and this is some of the Rich Piano used to discuss and we've touched on this b- before actually that you run high dose insulin like that you will look fucking enormous yeah oh yeah oh yeah especially if you're already a big guy and have a lot of a lot of compartment to fill up right yeah because you will super compensate and so what you'll end up doing is you will force loads of glycogen and loads of water with that glycogen into the muscle and the muscle will swell and this is where this law of oh running insulin and you put 30 40 pounds on a cycle yeah you do but it's not 30 40 pounds of muscle yeah the problem then is that when you finish that period you then spend a week pissing like a racehorse (laughs) you're then several pounds lighter and smaller your insulin sensitivity your insulin sensitivity sucks with not a huge significant muscle gain and your insulin sensitivity is now Fucked. Yeah, yeah. So I would agree with you. I, I think that how it would be a good way to run it would be to dose it with your dose it up to your food versus dosing your food up to your insulin, and to use it. First place I'd put it would be pre workout. You know, if I were to use it one time a day, I I would do it around that meal, and then from there, you know, maybe maybe go to a first thing in the morning. That would be the direction I would go. But I've seen people doing like. Two units with every meal. <clears throat> That's that, and I've seen people diet on on two, three units of every meal. And, and the, the theory behind that is that you insulin goes high, pushes blood glucose down. Body's got no blood glucose, so it starts to metabolize fat in order to elevate glucose levels. Yeah, uh, and and it it does does seem to work quite well. Yeah, I would say the most I ever used on insulin was. I'd say 15, 20 units a couple times a day. And that was with a really large breakfast using Humulin R. And then again, pre-workout. And at the time, man, like we were jamming in a lot of carbs. And then even before like highly branded cyclic dextrin and even before like waxy maize and stuff, we were just using dextrose, like pure sugar intra-workout. And I'm talking like 100 grams of pure sugar at times to, to match that insulin, you know? Mm. I had a time, it's not nearly as good of a story as yours. I'd gone hypo more than once. And I should say, too, no matter what you do, uh, even if you're 100% with insulin, there are going to be times that you do go hypo. Uh, and I think the, the, the key is, is that you recognize that. Um, some advice I would give is to not take naps while you're actively on insulin. There's a good chance that your body would wake you up if you start going hypo, but don't take that risk. That's one thing uh, I would, Dave says from Dave's experience, I'm starting to think you probably shouldn't even drive a car while, <laughs> while you're on insulin uh, and, and keep simple sugar with you. If you do start going hypo, unless you were to take in like a, a crazy amount, if you do what Dave said, and you're to dose your insulin to match your food and you're to increase slowly. If you do sense that you're going a little bit hypo, you don't need to clear your refrigerator out in order to balance that back out. We're talking like, you know, five, 10 grams of sugar. But the thing is, it's going to take 10 minutes. The mistake I think people make is they start going a little hypo and then they start eating. And before you know it, they're like, it's not getting better. A whole pack of Oreos is gone. And then they're like, okay, yeah, now I'm starting to feel better. Reality is it took 10 minutes for that first Oreo to make a difference, you know? I think when they tested my BG in the ambulance, it was sub two. Oh, wow. Holy shit. So you were. It was down that. It was around two. It was down. It was low. <laughs> Holy shit, man. That's crazy. And I'd eaten a lot of food. You know, I had eaten a lot of food that day, but yeah. I was traveling. I was I was doing different things. And, and obviously, I burned those calories in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
yeah, I've, uh, yeah, well, shit, you live and learn, don't you? I'm A <laughs> Good place where I use insulin with my clients that want to use insulin. Like I never tell a client, like, you need to be on insulin, we're using it. But if somebody wants to use it, uh, we'll use it in an off season infrequently, like on a body part that they need to grow. So if we were doing like push pull legs, then every time you hit push, we use insulin pre-workout and then we can check your blood fasting glucose in the morning, make sure that, you know, things are still in check. We can keep an eye to make sure you're not getting insensitive. And that's a great place too. we mentioned berberine or excuse me, metformin earlier. Somebody asked about that. What about berberine? You can always, what I'll do is use berberine on other days that you're not using insulin, like before bed, taking 500. I, I would much rather go berberine over metformin these days. I would too. Anything else we should mention about insulin before we move on here, Dave? You get some fucking amazing pumps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I mean, if you if you need to appear big for a short period of time, um, and this is why Rich Piano used to exploit it, insulin's a fantastic tool for, for making you, you, especially if you're a big guy or anyway, making yourself look 20, 30 pounds heavier and big, well, being 20 pounds, 30 pounds heavier than you really are. Yeah, um, but it's a double-edged sword because when it tips over and goes the other way, all that water then floods out under the skin, and you just look a fat mess. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Just gonna grab whatever we have next here. What's this one? Oh, this is kind of fun. <laughs> Only bodybuilding says, "Damn, this channel makes my day at work go better." Love it, guys. Um, he should probably be wearing headphones. Just don't let your employer hear what we're talking about he, he, he should be working not listening to this uh nah, shite nah man you already give enough to your company a little time for you <coughs> let's we'll switch you gears. Paid for it. yeah we'll, we'll switch gears here it, from drugs we've got a bunch more drug stuff but i'm going to bring this one up um it, this is a question he wanted to ask on all the shows uh, and he's from Patreon, so I'm going to put it on two of the shows, which we'll ask at Blood, Sweat, and Gear. And I wanted to get Dave's thought on this. He says, um, what are your favorite exercises for bringing up the VMO specifically? I've been implementing single leg presses and single leg extensions to try to bring these up. What's your thoughts? So VMO is like the teardrop muscle, right? Okay. Foot position. So you can alter it. Well, it's not really even the foot position, but by altering the foot position, you rotate your kneecap slightly. Okay. So if you wanted to hit the inner teardrop on your quads, leg extension, both legs together, heels close, toes apart, and then lean right forward in the seat. Hmm. Yeah. You know so what? When you Leaning forward yeah. or leaning back, if you haven't experimented with that, that definitely changes where it hits in the quad, doesn't it? Yes. So as you lean forward, you'll stop the the bulk of the quad from activating correctly. Mm. And it forces the load because you're actually then sitting on top of the quad attachment and it can't move properly. Yeah. So therefore, it forces the load down into that inner teardrop. Will really isolate that inner teardrop. Some of it's mental. Um there's other ways you can try. This will sound really extreme, but trust me on this. Finger or, or a pin, even a pin. Close your eyes and you do the movement slow, TUT style. So five seconds up, five seconds down. And you have someone touch the target muscle either with their finger or if you're really struggling with uh, a pin. A pin? Like a syringe? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, like a needle, yeah. So you just a gently needle? prick it. You focus on that pain. I don't like this you know, idea, Dave. No, you're not. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about shoving a needle into the muscle. I'm talking about just with a regular, not a needle. I'm not talking about using that. Oh, I can't see oh, it. The oh, there you go. I'm talking about just just like a household pin. Oh, how about how about a pen? How about like well, this? anything. But the the thing is with the pin because it's sharp. Yeah. It will it will go through the skin and just touch the surface of the muscle. Oh, the the whole idea of this is that that pain connects your brain connects to that pain. Yeah, 
So your brain will start to, first of all, it will just sense this pain in that area. And then as you get more proficient at it, it will start to isolate that pain into the muscle. Yeah. And so now you'll feel just that muscle. And you can change how an exercise loads a complex muscle group by focusing on the area you want it to work if you've got that area isolated due to that you've got pain signals coming from that area. Yeah. Okay. Just if you're a personal trainer, you might not be able to do that with your clients. Ask them first how they feel about that. With your client, you can obviously just use a finger. You just put your finger Mm. there. Yeah. But the point is that that it's a pain response that connects your brain to the muscle. I I got what you're saying. I've seen people use a a cattle prod even for that. hmm. Well, think about it. Think about when when you do a bad shot and it hurts like fuck. Yeah. When you train that muscle part, every inch of that load's going into that muscle where you've got the bad shot in because your yeah. brain's focused on where the pain is. Or if you've and done so a site injection like SEO or mm-hmm. or uh, IGF. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's uh, you could even try sighting. I mean, I've fucking tried it once and it hurt like fucking never went there again. But um, you could try a mild, a low dose sighting in, in those muscles in order to get better focus because... Huh. The better that focus is, the better you'll connect when you exercise it. Yeah, okay. All right, let me see what else we got here. Um, Red asks us, uh, if I may ask, um, I was thinking of starting my first DECA cycle, and I was curious if I should be taking more tests than DECA or what ratio would be safest to avoid the dreaded DECA dick. Uh, how about if I throw in some master on further into the cycle? Would an AI like Aromacin be sufficient in a test deca cycle, or do I need Clomid Novadex as well? So kind of like a bunch of stuff we can unpack here, I think, right? So deca dick, I hate that fucking phrase. Yeah. Uh, there's two mechanisms by which deca can cause erectile problems. The first is DHN superseding DHT. And the second is prolactin. So test converts to DHT via 5-alpha reductase. DECA converts to DHN versus 5-alpha reductase. DHN is much, much weaker than DHT. So if DECA supersedes DHT at the receptor, you will get a much weaker signal, and that can lead to some erectile issues. However, in my personal opinion, 90% percent of the time erectile issues when on DECA are caused by elevated prolactin so it's just a case of testing seeing where your prolactin is and managing it correctly bear in mind that low prolactin can also cause erectile problems so you can't just stick some caber in there and think the job is done yeah I have successfully run a ratio of one to four test to DECA on numerous clients with no problems whatsoever. But I have had clients that even on a one-to-one ratio of test to DECA have problems even when everything is as it should be. Hmm. So there, there is personal variance in this and personal variance in tolerance. However, I do like to run Novadex with DECA. Do you really? Yes. Okay. Novadex doesn't only block the estrogen receptor, it also has an action at the progesterone receptor as well. And DECA acts like a progestin in that it engages the PR. So if we can block that PR, the DECA can't engage with it. Hmm. DECA can't engage with the PR, it has less of an impact on prolactin, it has less of an impact on dopamine levels, and as a result, the prolactin elevation is not as strong and not as impacting. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. But there isn't really a set ratio, and most people will tolerate a lowish testosterone to a medium DECA quite well. A lot of problems are actually caused due to elevated estrogen, triggering a rise in prolactin and then the DECA adding on top of that, making that prolactin rise very impacted. Yeah. If if estrogen is controlled, there's much less chance of prolactin elevation. 
Obviously, we can use curvigol line to lower prolactin, but it is a bit of a sledgehammer, so you need to be a little bit careful. Or you can use P5P, which is a form of vitamin B6. If you're going to run P5P, I would do a front load with P5P for a couple of weeks before you start your cycle. All right. Let me see what else we got here. Um, question for the next show. Best way to control anxiety from gear causing panic attack leading to lasting anxiety. Best way? What's the best way? The best you way. You know what the best way. <laughs> is what? Stop taking it? Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. backing you know what backing the dose down <laughs> even right like that's that's always an option we don't think about a lot in bodybuilding right i anxiety is common um and it's all to do with the anabolics and their effect on neuron activity um so anabolics have two impacts they they increase neuron activity and they reduce our ability to regulate neuron um that leads to overthinking, anxiety, all these sort of things. Um, certain things or certain obvious things would be, I would avoid nandrolones, particularly Tren. Um, if you've got anxiety issues, then Tren's probably the last drug on the planet you want to look at. I'd also look at avoiding pre-workouts or any stim-based stuff. Yeah. And, and then you can do stuff like CBD. You can do stuff like melatonin on the night. 5-HTTP, uh, all that sort of stuff. But I do actually think that the just cognitive programming, so stuff like um, uh, meditation uh, and, and you know, creating some positive thinking methods that help you work through when you do get anxiety, uh, whatever they may be. For some people, they can create things around objects. I know that sounds a bit odd, but what I mean by that is they will purchase something that's supposed to be lucky or supposed to be calming, be it a gemstone or be it um, a certain type of rock or be it a, a, a lucky heather, for God's sake. Or a Christmas cabbage. You could get your own Christmas cabbage. Christmas, yeah. yeah. But the, the, the point is it, it doesn't really matter what the object is. It matters that you believe that that has a calming effect. Yeah. And if you believe that has a calming effect, then you will associate calmness with that object. So when you have that object in your position, you will automatically be calmer. Um, so there are all sorts of ways you can fuck about with the way you conceive anxiety and the way you cope with anxiety. But ultimately, you need to learn ways of thinking through it. Yeah. Yeah, you really do. And I do think that people who get anxiety from gear were people that were oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes already prone to it. No, I mean, I you know, some people have no problems at all. Yeah. Um, I've, I've mentioned this lots of times. I had real severe anxiety issues off ephedrine. I could see that. I could see that. I've gotten and that I, too. I, I get it bad from your hembine. So I, I cannot touch stims at all, even energy drinks. Can't go near them. Hmm. But <laughs> if I don't have them, I'm perfectly fine. I have, I have very little, apart from your general normal... You know, Jeremy, J, uh, he says, uh, are, are you with Gert Swellington, a.k.a. David Stanley Crossland? We got like a ton okay. of names for you, Dave. I'm, let me bring some of these up here. Let's see what we Scott got here, Crossland, guys. Um, call Dave Bulk Hogan. That's an all right one. That's all right. Let's see. What else do we have here? Um... If Dave wasn't a Dave, I could see him being an Esteban. Esteban. That's very, okay. like, yeah, that's very, um, I don't know. It's very, uh, like, like, exotic. A, exotic. That's the word. Thank you. Very exotic name. Here's one uh, Groundskeeper Willie. That is <laughs> Dave's new name. I don't think Dave is a Scott. Nor does he wear a kilt that I know of. But every time Dave gets excited and raises his voice, I picture Willie losing his shit. I, I kind of hear that, too. I kind of hear My that, My voice too. goes high when I get excited. Um, wife takes piss out of me. Dave's new name should be Mr. Trend Dihydro. That's all right. That's all right. It'd be a lot for me to say, though, for every time I do the yeah. intro. It's too many words. 
Um, Dave could be Davis. Yeah, it's it's not very creative. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you know, Davis Crossland. I mean, you already. It's here's one I like. Dave kind of looks like a Bob or a Billy or King David. I like Bob, Bobby. I Welcome. like Bob. I also, so there is the religion of Dave. So technically I could be referred to as God. I don't know if that has a ring to it. Welcome back to drugs and stuff with God. Cross. I like Bobby. Welcome back to drugs and God. stuff. No, we with, don't have God Crossland. If you're a God, you don't have a last name, do you? With good old Bobby Crossland. Does he yeah, sound like a fucking... guy I trust? Bob, Bobby, Bobby. How about Chet? There's another one. Chet, call Dave Chet for life. For life. Your new name is Chet, I guess. Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Chet Crossland. Isn't that short for something, Chet? I don't know. Chesterfield? I'm not sure. I'm sure. I thought it was an American slang term. Maybe I'm just wrong. We got one more here. Uh, Dave's new name can be Frankencabbage. And that's what all the villagers call him when they chase him out with the torches (laughs) and the pitchforks. That was a good one. You don't know how close you are with that. Remember, I live in a village. <laughs> Welcome back to drugs and stuff with Franken Cabbage. That's good. That's good. That's a win. Uh, I don't think we found quite the the what I was looking for, but I do appreciate everybody uh, trying to rename Dave. It's difficult, you know. We're trying to move on with Dave's I, I, new life. I yeah. quite I quite like Gert Swellington, if I'm honest. Gert Swellington. That's good. That's good. I yeah, like that too. Yeah, quite like that one. Our friend of the channel, who has a channel himself, Chase Irons. That's kind of a that's a good name, I think. Chase Irons, you know. What else do we have here? Uh, man, we have a lot, but we already did a bunch of them. Uh, here's one. How about this? Uh, no, nope, we already did every, that. One. Every week, Scott Scott messages me about an hour, two hours out from the show, and says, "Are you good to record in?" For argument's sake, two hours time, and I'll say, "Yes, this is right." I'll start getting everything organized and ready for the show. This is organized and ready. Yes, it is. I have like a hundred questions. Fucking see, I'd hate to see fucking disorganized. <laughs> disorganized is where we just don't have anything ready at all. Here we go. So here's a this you is a big question. Question for the next uh, episode. Thank you for what you do, guys. Uh, it helps so much, especially for a 47 year old guy that has been away from bodybuilding for some years. Thank you. I use TRT of 200 milligrams test sip split into two shots per week uh, before I did a blast. I am finishing a blast of 600 milligrams of test sip and 300 deca. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit of information here. Week, let's see. 50 milligrams of Anivar, da-da-da, sublingual, da-da-da. It's an 18-week cycle. My diet has been very clean. Games, gains seem to be mostly muscle. Okay, where are we going here? Um, get bloods towards the end of a cruise. It says, after the blast, I would like to cruise for 8 to 12 weeks, get bloods at the end of the cruise on 150 milligrams of test. Uh, and wait, Man, there's too much to read, Dave. Whoa, 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 hang on a minute. On 150 man of test sip and 50 men of trend end to try and keep as much of the gains as possible for another okay. test decker and agula. No, 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 no. I'm hoping the trend helps to give me good anti-catabolic effect along with added fat loss. I will be increasing right. cardio for the calorie deficit, to be in a calorie deficit. So he's going to be in a calorie deficit and take trend so, in test in his cruise is what you're telling me, what he's telling us, right? So... Right. These drugs are called anabolic for a reason. They are anabolic. Anabolic is the opposite of catabolic. You do not need Tren. Tren is not some wonderful anti-catabolic nature. Yes, it binds well, with the receptor. Kind of is anti-catabolic. All steroids are. Yeah, all steroids are. That's my point, you fucking dickwad. It's real anti-catabolic, actually. But do you need it? Is that what you're saying? Do you need it for a TRT? No. Do you fuckers like, unless you don't like your kidneys anymore, then you crack on, keep whacking it in. Um, that that sounds like there was a study floating around um, which showed that Tren had this huge binding impact with glucocorticosteroid receptors. And so this was touted then as being, oh, you must use Tren 
pretty much all the time because it's anti-catabolic, etc., etc., etc. All anabolics are anti-catabolic. That's why they call fucking anabolic anabolic anabolics anabolic because they are non-catabolic. Yeah. Um, one of the issues is that the glucocorticoreceptor um, is also our inflammation process. That's how it deals. Our bodies deal with inflammation. It's part of that process. And um, by one of the reasons why trend is so negative on health impacts is because it fucks up our body's ability to deal with inflammation. Hmm. So you do not need to be cruising on trend whatsoever. And if your training and diet that built the muscle is on point, you will not lose shitloads of size in your cruise. Yeah. If you do drop size in your cruise, a, a significant amount of, you know, you're going to drop a few pounds as glycogen retention reduces and such like. But if you end up dropping significant levels of strength and size in your cruise, then the problem lies in your training and diet, not in your drugs. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, you don't need that, man. You don't need trend to especially like <clears throat> maybe like Big Rami doesn't need trend to hold, you know, his size in in off very you know, in a cruise period. Like that's a period that you wanna get as little as possible in and get yourself set up. I don't think that you're gonna return your health to normal running trend either. You know what I mean? Yeah, 50 milligrams is an incredibly low dose. I get that. And maybe I'm being a little bit melodramatic here. But the point is, that is probably the most toxic drug that we readily use. Yeah. There are more toxic drugs, but we don't use them anywhere near as frequently or at the doses or at the duration that we do with threat. Um, And it's really not something you want to be sticking in a cycle when you don't need to. If you are using that drug because you are losing mass, then all you are doing is covering up for the fact that your training's not where it needs to be. Yeah. That's not sustainable long-term. It just isn't. You can't keep doing that. You get, Well, you can, but you're going to end up with problems. You know, you're going to end up with health concerns further down the line, or you're going to end up with anxiety issues. Yeah, you, you can use trend session after so you know cycle after cycle after cycle uh two three hundred four hundred mig no problems at all then you hit one and you've got problems because the damage it causes within the brain is accumulative it's not that those previous cycles haven't done damage it's that it's taken that long for that damage to build up to a point where it's impacting you on an everyday basis yeah. once it's there you ain't reversing that shit you're stuck with it yeah you can so the number one thing to retain muscle let's give him that well there's two things right food in training hard there's nothing wrong with doing a cut in your cruise but i'd give yourself a good four to six weeks post cycle to establish maintain what you've built in progress from that cycle before you start the cut or i'd put the cut in at the back end of your cycle so that when you come off the cycle you're holding and you're stable yeah um but i, I I, I really would seriously advise against using Tren in that way. Laser's with us. Anab- Hello, hey, Laser. Hey, anabolic professionals. There is. Oh, yeah. We we really, you know. Um, obviously, we've we've had another death within our community in the last week. Well, we talked C- about Cedric. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, we didn't talk about Cedric on this show. We talked about it on a previous one. Do you want to have some words on that? Well, no, I just may rest in peace and let's not pick over his bones. But there yeah. seems to be a, a, a very sudden, oh, bodybuilding's in a mess. We have to change it. We have to do this. We have to do that. I think people need to realize that bodybuilding is an extreme sport. Well, should I say assisted bodybuilding is an extreme sport? Yeah. You drive a race car, you run the risk of crashing and killing yourself. You wear a helmet and you put a roll cage in that car to minimize those impacts, but that risk is still there. You take anabolics, you can do blood work, you can do echoes, you can do heart scans, but that risk is still there. The simple fact is, if you use steroids, when you, as, as a bodybuilder or powerlifter or strongman, you are taking risks with your health. If you don't want to take those risks, don't use steroids. 
So there's nothing broken in bodybuilding. It's always been like this. That's a good point, man. I can't argue that one bit. Also, when Matt Blevin says, hey, you guys, all I hear is uh, that guy from the Goonies. <laughs> I think that's why he's doing it. <laughs> well, he, he has a look. got to say, he has yeah. a look. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Listen, let's see what else we've got we can whip through here as we get to the tail end of the show, Dave. We got another big one, guys. We we need we want lots of information from you, but at the same time, we can't. I can't read a novel and do it on the air. It's a lot. Okay. Scott can't read very well. Full stop. Let's let's just get that's that it. Out. I don't know how to read. Okay, I don't know how to read. Uh, question for the next episode: Mysterious PIP. After my first cycle, I get PIP at every shot I do. Every shot ends up a hard lump, and it lasts about a week. This is the same with every compound, ester, injection site, needle size, length, amount, uh, injection speed, and carrier oil. Good man. I like that he's looked at all these factors. I get no reaction from pure carrier oil with BA or BB either sub Q or IM. I only react to the oil uh, with the compound in it. Current solution is dilute test E to 100 milligrams per milliliter, which makes the PIP more manageable. I'm a, am I allergic to every compound there is? Additional info, um, have been on B and C for 1.5 years. First cycle, um, from which I did a PCT was around two years ago. First cycle had no issues. Um, issues started from the first shot on the second cycle with no change in 1.5 years. Compounds tried, testosterone prop, anethate, sipinate, undecanoate, primabolin anethate, primabolin uh, masteron propanate, and anethate, NPP, injections sites tried, um, VG, delts, and glutes. I mean, chest. You didn't even say glutes on there. Oh, quads. Carrier oils tried. MCT, GSO, castor oil, ethyl oleate. Whew. What the hell is going on with this guy? I don't know. I mean, it's obviously compound-based, but what element of that? Uh, could it be the fatty acid in, in the esters that's the problem? Has he ever tried a base compound, an ester three compound? What's an ester three compound? Oh, ester three. No, ester three, a compound with no ester. I didn't understand you with your um, British talk. The way you speak sometimes in that weird language you use. I, I would now attempt to do an American accent, but it would probably come across as either Pakistani or Russian, so I'm not even going <laughs> to. Because I'm shit at accents. Me too. Um, yeah, I, I, the only thing I can think of is that there's some sensitivity to the fatty acid in esters. Um, esters are, are derived of fatty acids. So um, it, it's that's the only thing that's constant. Yeah. You know? um, so you could try a, a hormone, a, a, an ester 3 base hormone. I, I would probably not. Well, you're going to have to try a test, really, because it's the only one you're probably going to be able to freely get hold of. Um, but I suspect that the only thing you can do is is microdose and, and, and multi-shot and try and get around it that way. I'd be interested to know if he's having any physical symptoms besides the pit. Yeah. You know, like, is, is there any sort of physical allergy response? Does he feel groggy? Does he feel... Fluid, does anything like that happen in post shot? Yeah, fever, yeah, anything, anything at all like that. But uh, I suspect it's the fatty acid in the ester, uh, and I think really the only workaround is gonna be to microdose. So he uh, says he gets a lump, of, mm -hmm. he, he gets a lump. Um, when we do take in a, a depot injection, it does leave. A, a pocket of oil in the muscle. There is going to be a lump there. If I do a glute shot, I'm going to get a lump there. And that lump is going to last for several days, possibly up to a week. And it's, it's not necessarily like a bad lump. 
it may be tender. If I haven't done a shot in a while, it's going to probably hurt. Like if it's newer, if the muscle isn't used to be getting, you know, injected, then there's going to be more pain there. Is it possible that what he's experiencing is normal? No, because he said he didn't experience it on his third cycle. Yeah. Okay. I'm just looking for anything. You know what I mean? So there's obviously a change. And yeah. I, I I would think that you, you unfortunately you're probably going to have to just open up new sites and do very small, you know, quarter or half mil injections and and do quads, delts, buys, tries, you know, and more areas so you can spread that out. Micro dose it, micro dose yeah. it, yeah. I, I guys, that's the only way you can get around it. We're winding down here. I wish we could get through all of your questions. You guys have been freaking awesome uh, posting all your questions. We literally have, Dave, like, we're literally, like, half done with the questions, and we've been doing this for an hour. Like, it's impossible, I think, for us to get all the questions done anymore. But I want to let everybody know that we appreciate you guys submitting them. Um, I think that well, Nevin had one that we had We can answered. do it. We can do a quick fire session, one podcast, if you want, which is like none of the usual bullshit we, we waste our time bollocking about and just fucking bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. Let's, let's plan on that. Uh, yeah, Scott, he did. Scott Stevenson is with us. Uh, and if there's anybody who would know, it would be Scott hey, Stevenson. Scott. Yeah, but he said, yeah, he's he's tried all sorts of different carriers and it's it's the same. So I, I want to see if I can find Nevin's question here. I have so the way I do this, Dave, is I gather screen caps of everybody's questions, and then I gather, I try to run through them as we're finishing the last question to get the next one up. But they're not in order, so that's why I don't always know where everything is. Uh, but we Nevin's asked this question a bunch of times now, so I want to try to get this on. Um, Oh, he says Scott adds uh, carrier oil is not the same as solvent. He did mention solvents as well. And he's okay with solvents and various different carrier oils. It's just when he adds the hormone itself in that it gets the issue, which is weird. Yeah, he said he tried he said try carrier oil with, with, with solvent and, and um, BA in it, and um, he had no issues with that. It was only when the compound was added. Yeah. Any compound, apparently. Okay, so we'll get through this last one just because, like I said, Nevin's reposted this several times. And if you guys have any questions we didn't answer, please post it again. When this show comes out, I'll be gathering the questions the next morning so that Dave and I can do the next show. It says, great episode, question for the next week. What are your thoughts on low-dose Cialis for blood pressure uh, to control, control when on a light to mild cycle? Should someone on daily Cialis be careful about pre-workout pumps is there any risk in mixing the two I've heard some, maybe he said this before maybe we've gotten asked it before but somebody said uh, that they were warned not to use pre-workout and Cialis together I don't know is the honest answer I don't know no I don't think there's a problem I've done it I, I, I don't, I don't think there's one no um I mean, like you say, Cialis will lower blood pressure. Um, it's very, very effective at that. Um, I can't see that there being a, a problematic interreaction between the two compounds. I can see there being a little bit of a counter, as in one's lowering and one's going to drive it up. But well, both of them will, will boost nitric oxide. Yeah. So there's that. But the, the stim element of a pre-workout oh. would, would on, on the surface, increase BP. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Um, so that... Yeah. Yeah, so you should be sorry, Scott, as well. Coming in halfway through and then trying to answer questions. But he's, does, he's, dude, he's so smart, though, is the thing. Like, you can come in at the end and just be like, oh, you guys are wrong, here's the answer. Yeah, no, he's annoyingly smart. I think we should ban him from the show, personally. <laughs> Done. Let me see if I can ban him from Facebook. Uh, I found, I've, I've heard of people using like five milligrams of Cialis daily to for, for like a minor blood pressure control. And hell, wasn't Viagra first being studied, at, created as a blood pressure medication? And then as a side effect, they decided all these guys started having these great boners. Oh, Scott's got us. No, Scott, if you've got a... Uh... If you've got a solution, then please, please come forth with it. Scott, do you have a solution? Scott has a solution. We want to hear from him. 
Can we bring as you? As I'm can we bring uh, you on? Can I just text you and you just answer on your phone? Can we do that Scott's for like less time? Like Scott, can yeah. I just send you the link and you just like answer on your phone right now? You don't need headphones or anything like that. Let's see what he says about that. I, I genuinely believe that Scott is the cleverest person in our industry. I don't disagree with that. Let's see here. Scott Stevenson. I'm going to say link. And then I'm going to go like this. Let's see if we can get Scott on the line. We are only no. going to be here for like another two minutes, guys. So, let's see. But I do. I genuinely, and if anyone hasn't looked Scott up, I, I recommend you do. Because he is not only one of the cleverest people I have ever had the pleasure to meet and talk to, but he's also one of the nicest. He really is. He is. Unlike that fucking prick that I have to work with every... No, another point that way. That way. That fucking prick that I have to work with every week. Uh, he says, just call me up. I can't call you up. I mean, I could. Uh, I sent you a link on text, Scott. If you're on your phone, just click that link and see if you can connect to us. We'll see. We'll try this last minute. Unless no, maybe he's... Quiet. Maybe his, like his hair might be in curlers right now or something. He might have it like a, a, you know, he might not be ready for the public. There is that. <clears throat> Maybe he's watching porn. That's possible. He says, I mean, he's a clever man. He can, multi, he can multitask. So. Yeah. <laughs> here he is. Let's see what happens here. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. We got him. We got him. Can you hear us? No, oh, he can't hear us yet. All right. Okay. So, we got Scott Stevenson. <laughs> You're just happen to catch me. I like, I get, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. We got to get you a little oh, more. There you go. Sorry. There you go. Beautiful. Beautiful. Look at this. Look at this. Holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> I got to, let me turn the Facebook off because I'm getting reverb of my own voice. Yes. Yes. Hold on just a sec. There we go. All right. So. Do you want me to bring the question up again so you can see what he said? Yeah, that would be cool. All right. Um, so he said, uh, mysterious PIP, uh, his first cycle, he didn't get it. He says, after my first cycle, I get uh, a hard lump that lasts about a week. This is the same with every compound ester injection site, needle size, length, amount, injection speed, and carrier oil. I get no reaction from pure carrier oil with BA and BB, either sub-Q or IM. I only react to oil with compound in it. Recent solution is that he diluted his test E to 100 milligrams per milliliter, which makes the PIP more manageable. Uh, am I just allergic to the compound? He says, um, I've been on B and C for 1.5 years, first cycle um, from which I did PCT around two years ago. First cycle had no issues. Issue started with the first shot of the second cycle with no change in 1.5 years. He's tried test probe, test E, test C, test U, primabolin, um, masteron probe, and anethate, NPP. All those sites, right? All those sites, and he's also used carrier oils, MCT, uh, GSO, castor oil, and uh, EO. Okay, so that's pretty fucking thorough. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, good. yeah. Um, so, the, but the thing that, like, the sort of the simple way to look at it is the problem is that the, as you said, Scott, actually, is that the depot stays in the muscle, and that's why he's having the issue. the 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 idea there, of course, is that that's why you you have different half-lives based on the length of the esterified fatty acid but he wants to get it out of the out of the area and dilute it which he did once so one thing with old school stuff heat things up makes mm. it more soluble so it dissipates from the injection site more rapidly and the other thing that some people can do too is and I'm not this isn't medical advice so you know got to put the caveat in there <laughs> but if you use like a if someone if someone were to hypothetically use like a one and a half inch needle on a site that you know, that's appropriate, yeah. and you start deep and you come out to not like don't come to the surface to the skin, but you basically put the injection in over a larger volume of muscle, you've essentially diluted the concentration of whatever the offending agent is at the injection site. So heating it up, people put it in a microwave without the needle on. You don't want need, you don't want metal right. in the microwave. Right. Yeah. Then you then you have like a sparkler instead of a needle. 
You'd probably mess up the metal of the needle too. It wouldn't be good. But that would be, you know, a way to do it. And you guys also mentioned, you know, spreading around it to more to more sites and micro injections. But but Heating that would be a way. To, that yeah, he, that that helps a lot of people really, really. Quite the only bit. thing with that, guys, you got to be real careful because if you put it in a microwave, I mean, you could get that oil to a boil in no time, and you don't want to obviously yeah. inject boiling oil. You know? Smarter way is just put the put the bottle in some hot water. You yeah, know, on yeah. your stove, and that's a much better way. That just people end up using the microwave. So I've used a hair dryer too. Oh yeah. That way, because I, I started getting paranoid that All like, right. oh, if I get the vial wet and there's bacteria on that water and then I don't get the water cleaned off and now I'm injecting into it, I'm afraid. So I was like, if I used a hairdryer, there's no yeah. water involved, you know, but you could still burn yeah. yourself with that easily, you know? Right. Yeah. You don't have got to submerge the whole vial. But what were you going to say, Dave? Or Chet? Sorry. Uh, Chet. <laughs> I saw that part. <laughs> Um, I remember sticking it under my armpit and walking around for about 10 minutes with it under there. No bacteria there. For sure. (laughs) That's, I think that's medically approved here in the States like that. That's Sometimes the doctors will spit on the vial and then stick it in their arm kit and then pull it out and put the needle in before they inject it. Matt Blevin Um, says, uh, yay, my favorite four people all on the same screen. All four of us. That's not a person. That's a cabbage. He's a, but he is a personality. He's and he's probably the most important personality on the show, you know, on the program. So there is that, Dave. The most famous. Well, I mean, he's yeah. got a vanity plate named after him. <laughs> he's, 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 he's the most intelligent under normal circumstances, but we will bow to Scott. Hey, I, I bow to I bow to cabbage. You know, that's like, <laughs> there's something there. He he's so wise he doesn't even have to speak because he knows everything we're about to say. Yeah, like that's just, that's at the level at which he's operating. Well, yeah, it's spiritual. <laughs> well, with that said, Scott, we appreciate you coming on to hang out with us. We're going to close out this thing. Uh, I hope that everybody has a great morning. Scott, I hope you have a great morning. Dave, have a great afternoon or whatever it is over there. And everybody watching, uh, go to eval bloodanalysis.com. You can reach out to Dave there to get some lab work done. You can hit Dave and I up for coaching. In fact, we got a coaching question. We'll, we'll get to that one next time. Uh, go to crosslands.org.uk. You can hit me up, McNallyDiets at Gmail. Of course, check out our awesome sponsors, truenutrition.com, use our code THINK, and supplementsource.ca. Scott, Dave, it has been a pleasure, my friends. Thanks for having me on, guys.